0: New Perspectives on Irish History Dreams, Themes, Myth and Ecology This series looks at Irish history from different perspectives starting from the time when the island of Ireland was a great forest. It talks about the first inhabitants, their lifestyles and how they differed from the world we live in today. The series seeks to give perspectives other than the military-focused accounts of previous historical series. In this program we talk to Michael Roberts, Hard Campbell and Eimer Burke about their lifestyles which is not dissimilar to our ancestors during Celtic times. We talk to B. Smith about the Cavan burden, and to Patricia Leisseld about the Banshee. We also play music of Turlock O'Carrollen, famous itinerant harpist and poet. I first spoke to Michael Roberts, Howard Campbell and Emer Burke about the life they live, which is strongly connected with the natural environment.
1: I think the major influence on my life at that time was, of course, my mother. And she was a woman who had a very open mind, came from a rural background, And she had a rural or pagan approach to the world. The word pagan comes from peasant or peon, which means she was a country girl, like Mm -hmm. I was a country boy. And she viewed the world in views of what it's like living in the countryside, Mm -hmm. seeing the cycles of nature and just seeing how the world works. And she maintained that perspective. And I think she gifted it to me as a small boy. And for me then to go out with a more open mind and see these sights, I was more open to have the experience. Whereas if you have a more closed mind, you close off the experience and you don't live as rich a life. Howard Campbell tells us about Druidry.
2: We aim, along with my wife, Eimear, to uh, revision uh, the old, uh, some of the old um, ways and traditions uh, which could be called Druidry, um, it, it, which is a very ancient um, way of life. Uh, it 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 goes back to the Celts and probably goes back uh, before the Celts. The druidry covers a very wide uh, scope, uh, right from uh, the arts, are very important in the bardic strand of druidry, uh, poetry, storytelling, uh, which does connect to our history as well. to To get a a more Um, might I say accurate view of our history because you know history in all nations tends to be taught as propaganda uh, to to suit the current uh, political system. It goes through uh, a strand which encompasses uh, healing uh, and uh, uh, healing at all levels you know uh, spirit body and mind.
3: Anna Liffey Liffey, the story goes, was the daughter of Canon and came to the Plain of Kildare. She loved the flatlands and the ditches and the unreachable horizon. She asked that it be named for her. The river took its name from the land. The land took its name from a woman. A woman in the doorway of a house, a river in the city of her birth, there in the hills above my house, the River Liffey rises as a source. It rises in rush and ling heather and black peat and bracken and strengthens to claim the city it narrated swans, steep falls, small towns, the smudged air and bridges of Dublin. I give her gifts of the mind, I give her the secret sign that's known to the artists. Have known the true gods of sound and stone, and word and tint I did not stint, for I gave her poems to say.
0: Emer Burke talks about goddesses and priestesses.
3: Okay, well, I'm a, it's, I'm a, a priestess within the fellowship of Isis, yeah. and uh, it's found it was founded, co founded by uh, the late Olivia Robertson and her brother. Uh, Lawrence Robertson and his wife uh, Pamela Robertson, uh, nineteen seventy six, I think, yeah. and it's 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 an organisation that's open to all religions and all perspectives. Oh. It reflects the honouring the the goddess, particularly.
0: Okay, well, who is the goddess?
3: Um, well, she of many names. You may call her Isis, mm-hmm. Danu. Brigid, she's the great mother, I suppose, Mother Earth, and uh, is expressed or honoured or connected with or engaged with in many different guises. Uh, She's imminent. She's everywhere. And I suppose goddess is a way of expressing it for some people. Um, Many ways, uh, great spirit is another way of looking at deity or the source. Uh, And often that source is seen more from maybe an animistic perspective as well. So that god, goddess is seen everywhere in nature. Well, animism is seeing spirit or, as you want to look at, deity within all of nature, within the trees, the rocks, the rivers, the mountains. Yeah. Okay. And as a druid and as a priestess, I am not locked into any one way. Uh, Druidry is not dogmatic. Yeah. So it's about being able to hold different expressions of how you see spirit to be.
0: Isis was an Egyptian goddess, not to be confused with a military Islamic present day movement, whereby both the names Isis and ISIL are used interchangeably. Women, I'm calling you, calling
4: women. I'm calling to you, calling out to you.
0: Howard Campbell speaks of a disconnect from the natural world in society today.
2: I think that uh, uh, becoming disconnected from the natural world uh, is uh, is important in our wrong turn, if you like, um, and I don't think that occurred at a single point in time. I think I think it, it, it it's occurred over a period of um, centuries and even mm. millennia, uh, and along with this, the notion that. Uh, we can control nature and even dominate nature, uh, which is becoming increasingly obvious that uh, uh, we we can't you know with uh, uh, climate change and uh, uh, environmental degradation uh so and you, you people become disconnected even from from food uh, or where their food comes from um, uh, so. I see that as the 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 an important process, but as to when it started uh, you could say it started uh, some some uh, archaeologists uh, think it started with farming uh you know and that's when we started to think that we could control the natural uh world and that also coincided with uh you know, big population increase.
0: Ier Burke explains how Ireland got its names,
3: Fola because we the three goddesses whom mm. uh, agon the, the the druid of the Celts yeah. tricked into uh, mm. getting access to Ireland, he yeah. promised each one that he would uh, give them their name those Arow, Fola, and Banva, yeah, and right. they became the three sister rivers, which mm. are the north the shore and the barrow
0: you see, you mentioned the other world. do they come backwards and forwards at certain times in the year? From the other world,
3: yes, I suppose there's three known times where the veil is thinnest: Bealtaine, yeah. uh, this is it made at uh, Samhain, and mm-hmm. the the, um, the summer solstice. Summer solstice, yeah. and those st- well, say Bealtaine and summer solstice when there's a lot of. If you look at the what's happening in the landscape now or at mm-hmm. that time, there's a yeah. huge upsurge in growth, sexual energy, mm-hmm. power, mm-hmm. vitality, yeah. and that veil becomes thinner. And then with Samhain, mm-hmm. the veil is thinner between. Uh, it's where we connect with the ancestors. Mm. And, uh, and that's a very, very important time to connect with the Ancestor mm. and to connect with the Kalyuk. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, and uh, where do the Ancestors go when people die? In your philosophy, where, where do they go?
3: Well, they go to the West, the Blessed Islands the in the West or the Northwest, to Ciernan Oak, yeah. yeah. or the Blessed yeah. Isles, there are different but ways, yeah, the, I- you, the Land of Promise.
0: Yeah, well you see a uh, reconnect, you see, you know, in other words, that the life continues on. Yeah. It's not like the end, is not...
3: No, life continues. Yeah. Uh, for some people, come back and re—you know—reincarnate. Others don't. But yeah. uh, again, with as druids, are, we're not dogmatic about that. But that yeah. I have a sense that there is strong sense with the old, other world yeah. and the ancestors, okay. and also receive guidance from the ancestors and have to help the ancestors. Okay.
0: How is it that we lost or lost connection with the sacred sites, and, and how can people? taught that these sites are sacred now and not archaeological sites.
3: I think I suppose that the secularization of these sites came I think a lot with the with the advent of Christianity and how in order to proselytize and I suppose it happened over time was to Christianize all these what were sacred sites. Yeah. Leave the big ones like the, the stone circles, the cairns, the and all of those yeah. to the archaeologists. Yeah. We kept the wells and they were Christianized.
0: Aimer Burke speaks of the importance of trees.
3: I think yeah. um, for me as a druid, trees are very, very important and the woods and connecting with trees and the healing aspect of trees are very, very important. And with the advent of agriculture, a lot of the trees were cut down. And I suppose initially when they started planting there were small pockets of trees cutting down. But if yeah. you listen to some of the myths that are now more patriarchal, it's Talchu and Maka. They, you know, cleared County Meath of all the trees. And that yeah. Yeah. kind of signified the advent of agriculture.
5: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And uh, we need to grow more trees. And that yeah. is an ecological perspective, but also yeah. the groves of the Druids, the temples of the, dro- of the Druids, where groves of trees, the Fionneva, the yeah. sacred groves. Yeah. So I think it's about... Uh, and the wells were always gateways into the other world. Yeah. They were the sources of imbus, yeah. the inspiration for the Druids, yeah. the bards, the Aksha, the wisdom, the guidance. Yeah. To, to talk about it, just like what Michael is doing with his stories and what we do with the stories, yeah. is uh, planting trees, looking at it yeah. and being out there in nature.
1: Yeah. But again, as hemer says, it's back to the trees and back to nature. And yeah. for me, the trees always connected the earth to the sky there were that, that connecting pole and that's yeah. where the Druids as I understood it would go to investigate themselves and when they went in on their inner journey yeah. they went to the tree of life and circled it until they found their spirit guides
5: I
0: The Near FM Drama Company recite this statement about the economic value of a single mature tree.
1: What is a tree worth? A tree is worth $193,250, according to Professor T.M. Das of the University of Calcutta. A tree living for 50 years will generate $31,250 worth of oxygen, provide $62,000 worth of air pollution control, control soil erosion, and increase soil fertility to the tune of $31,250. Recycle $37,500 worth of water and provide a home for animals worth $31,250. This figure does not include the value of fruits, lumber or beauty derived from trees. Just another sensible reason to take care of our forests.
0: I visited communities along the border, which for years separated the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, to talk about a Rotary Ireland cross-border peace forest initiative based on tree planting with local communities. John Houghton here in the Cashel Community Centre and we have just been, we are planting just planting trees as part of the cross-border Peace Forest Community and Rotary Peace Forest and which was launched in Derry on 26th of May uh, last year, 2013. So tell us about this tree planting then in Cashel today and why it's important for your pupils in the school and what they can gain from it.
3: Well, it's a further extension of work that we've already started through our shared education programme. Schools come together in this area to do various uh, learning projects from environmental work, uh, outdoor play for younger children, and we want... uh, continue that into the community
0: yes i think it's important having the children involved from the outset that they have a connection with the local community this is something that they can take on uh, through our own gardening club for example at school and we can make a connection with the local community gardening club here that uh, children get to know and realize the importance i suppose of uh, heritage and indeed environmental issues and so on and so the tree planting as well as being a tree for peace uh, between the communities in this area that it's a connection between uh, the young people and indeed the older people in our community as well this will be something that will continue into the future and uh, we should hope to see uh, more trees being planted uh, from this initiative here today my name is louise leonard i'm secretary to casher community association we're a group that uh, are a voluntary group who work with social and educational activities in the area today's event
3: is all about what we do ourselves, because as I say, we're cross communities. So, we're bringing both sides, both traditions here, and the peace tree um, is another historic event yeah. for what we work for.
0: Hey, I'm Gabriel McGrath, the chairperson of Cashel Community Association, and uh, I was delighted to be involved in this peace tree planting this morning. It was cross-border and cross-community, and it was good that we had children from both sections from Kilti Lahore and from Garrison and the children from Currie School, which means that it's, we were all working together and hopefully it'll build a foundation for the people to work together in the years to come.
4: Hello, my name's Joseph Flannery. Um, I'm involved in the Kilti Community Garden. Uh, I suppose the reason why I was inv- excited about today's project was I think it can develop the area, Kilti and Cashel, bring more people here, more tourism... And also, it can um, develop what we want to do is to get more people involved in growing vegetables as a community.
1: In the woods of Gertna I thought the wind was sighing round the black thorn tree. But oh, it was the banshee that was crying, crying, crying.
0: Patricia Lycett has written a book called The Banshee, and she will tell us all about the Banshee tradition in Ireland.
4: What we're talking about here is a death messenger, somebody who, who brings a message that death uh, is going to happen. That is essentially what the Banshee tradition is. Now, if we look at the word itself, Banshee, it's obviously from the Irish, *unbanshee*, banshee the Banshee. So to talk about Banshees, as people sometimes do these times, is actually incorrect in the sense that um, there is uh, the idea is that certain families have a Banshee. It's not sort of like Mother Ireland either. There's only one. Uh, certain families have a Banshee. So it's, it's particularly connected uh, to certain families. In other words, that is the Banshee of that family, the Banshee of the O'Briens, for example, Banshee of the O'Grady's and she of the McMahons and and so on so what it does tell us is that this supernatural being is female, is a woman and that uh, she's a woman of the other world now she's not a woman of the fairy world because, uh, which is quite a different category altogether because the fairies are social beings we think of them in terms of uh, the fairy the the fairy race um, with um, uh, kings and queens, uh, and so on. In other words, old systems of domination and representation. Whereas uh, the Banshee is a uh, uh, being um, on her own uh, par excellence. You never hear that she has any sort of family, she lives any, anywhere in particular, or that, for example, that human beings might uh, go into the other world to fall in love with her, and so on, as we do hear about a certain. Um, females of the uh, other females of the other w- of the other world, so she's a solitary being par excellence. So is the ba- so is the leprechaun. But she's a solitary being par excellence. So she differs uh, from the fairies in in that regard. Also, of course, she is um, her function is to be a premonition of of death. So in that way, that's what the other world means, that she's, um, she's uh, that's what supernatural means, or supernatural death messenger. In other words, she comes out of the other world. Now, very important uh, also is to recognise that there are a variety of names for the Banshee. For example, in parts of Tipperary and Limerick, and parts of uh, Mayo she's called On van Gheente the Keeney Woman. And the definite article is also very very important there because it means we're not talking about a human Keeney Woman. We're talking about the Keeney Woman again attached to families because that's what she does. That's her role behaviour. So uh, while she might resemble the human Keeney Woman um, tradition bearers are very clear to point out that she's quite that uh, she is quite different. And she's also called the Keeney Woman on on Van Quintet. Why did she come? is to cry for certain families. Otherwise, there isn't a particular function. There isn't a, ra- a raison d'etre for her coming Other, other, otherwise. And um, that is very central to, to our tradition. She cries for certain families. And people say she follows certain families. That is, follows from generation to generation. She cries certain families. There are Irish versions of that. she a a a queen, a gole, and so on. A so you have the Irish times for all, all of these as well so there is, seems to be a connection from generation to generation with families so um, what do they hear then so the cry then is very important and um, actually you have to have the cry uh, the cry is a sine qua non in the uh, tradition it's the cry that is associated with death which links up again with the um, human keening woman but of course, um, one could say, I suppose, that um, the um, otherworld Keening Woman brings death into the community, and the human Keening Woman cries death out of the community because that's what she does. From the during the wake, from the uh, from the wake house uh, to the outside of the house, journey to the graveyard, at the graveyard, and um, at the burial. Whereas the the otherworld Keening Woman. Has uh, brought it in. They describe the cry, it's a, it's a very, very rich tradition, you know, what does the cry sound like? And It's very sorrowful, all ago, lament, queen, uh, and so on. In other words, that it's sort of almost like what a human would be doing, which would indicate that the person um, who, uh, who was crying was favourable to the family, as you would expect if she's an ancestress of the family. So that it's it's a mournful sound, it's a friendly sound actually, and people have extended that to say um, for the the twentieth century tradition that it's one of your own that are coming to take you away and to um, to bring you to the other side. So it has been. um, People obviously have thought very carefully about it, and they have um, uh, they they have um, used it or manipulated or or moulded, I suppose is the word, to suit. Their life, But interestingly as well, if you, if you want to look at her in terms of the human keening woman, because uh, there is definitely a profiling there from that, human keening woman, her locus of, um, uh, of um, performance and expertise was, of course, the wake, because the wake was quite extensive. It went on uh, maybe for two nights, and uh, it was there that the major part of the lamenting was done. The banshee has no connection with the wake. She's not associated with the wake. She might have been heard, uh, she would have been heard before the wake ever happened at all. So she's not, um, uh, she doesn't cry uh, for the dead person. She cries for somebody uh, who is um, going to die. The other, I suppose, interesting aspect is that when uh, people died abroad that um, uh, very far from home let's say United States, Canada, elsewhere um, that um, the Banshee could be heard I'd say that it'll be part of our cultural heritage for generations uh, to come I think it's too embedded um, it's too culturally embedded in in us and um, it's associated uh, with um, death and um, it, it has this strong Um, psychological um, um, function, I think, in in, uh, relation to people.
3: The Banshee was a regular in Ring's End, and the people believed in it. There was a lot of families that when the Banshee would cry, there'd be a death in the family.
1: This is a jig that has been learned of the fairies and I heard my Uncle Mickey saying that there was a man learned it of the fairies. He was a Mickey McConnell. I uh, heard him saying that before he died, that's about 30 years ago. So he used to play it himself on the fiddle.
4: Oh, I could tell you a bunch of human. As a matter of fact, if there is such a thing, I have heard it twice. If there is such a thing, I'm not saying there is. Right here. In the backyard. It's an unmerciful wail. You often hear the cats now at night, you know. Well, no, they're only in the shed. This wail I heard is unmerciful. But on each occasion there was a death in the one house in this terrace.
1: John, I've often heard heard it said from my own father and I've heard it from other musicians around that the wee people have a lot to do with the music. They have, surely. Oh, they have, surely. Go away, you
4: child.
0: B. Smith explains about the Cavern Burren.
5: Uh, The Cavern Burren is a very compact, around 284 acres of limestone, glaciated landscape in which you can find wedge tombs, cairns, dolmens, forestry, um, a lost valley, which is a dry river valley, um, and amazing glacial erratics. Um, Burren just means stony place. Claire doesn't have uh, a um, a monopoly on limestone, (laughs) and um, this is the one that is right here on the border in the shadow of Quilka Mountain, where uh, underneath it, the River Shannon rises. Um, Because of the international significance of this landscape, both the natural history, the geology, um, the flora and fauna, because of the built heritage here, UNESCO has designated this a global geopark. Marble-Large Caves was the first cross-border international geopark in the world ever. And it started in Fermanagh, but because geology does not really respect international boundaries, um, the geopark has spread as far west as Loch Melvin, um, at the Leitrim-Fermanagh boundary and the Mm -hmm. Donegal boundary, right as far east as, say, Bell Butler's Bridge in um, County Cavan, and as far south as Kilachandra in County Cavan. Matthew Fox, who is a Christian theologian, has said, you know, that Ireland is the body of the goddess. And I think that if anyone is going to go on any kind of spiritual seeking and is within an arm's reach of Irish landscape, you know, they're well on the track to yes. reconnecting. Up at the giant's grave here on the Cavanborough, if you turn around, you can see Schlieveneeren. And that is where the Tuatha Danann, who were this mythic race, of people who were immortals, um, who were this sort of divine Mm. race, they were called the children of the goddess Danu, who was um, what they call an Indo-European goddess. Um, She has roots in India and then migrated right across the continent Mm. um, and finally landed in Ireland. She has associations with the goddess Bridget, who is really the one that Ireland takes as our own. Mm. In some writings, she's considered to be her mother In others, maybe a grandmother. She's the matriarch of the Tugatadanan. And um, in this particular landscape, you can see their home place, Aaron, and then to the left, you'll see the Bella Valley Gap, which is where the magical smith, of the two Dé Danann and had its forge and in some versions of the story this grave here on the cabin barn is the magical smith's tomb
0: we've come to the end of this program you have been listening to new perspectives on irish history dreams themes myth and ecology part of the sound and vision series of the broadcasting authority of ireland i'm john houghton and i would like to thank all those who took part in this program and the research and production team, myself, Paul Loughran, Alan Weldon and Neil Doyle.
4: This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland.